You are listening to the Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University. I am ASPS University Chair, Dr. Nicholas Panetta, and I invite you to check out all of our educational offerings, from professional surgical videos, courses on practice management, and much, much more at ASPS EdNet. In this episode, we're joined by Dr. Mona Abidian, who's the new ASPS Board Vice President for Education. Thanks for joining us today, Mo. Thank you. It's a pleasure um, to be here. You've had some different career transitions over the course of your career since you finished your training. Would you mind sharing uh, the details of that with us? Sure. So I finished my residency in 1995 from Johns Hopkins. At that time, my interests were really more in the academic realm, but it was a difficult time in the sense that there was a lot of healthcare reform. So what I ended up doing was going into private practice for my first two years out of residency. And it was an employed private practice setup. And it worked well. I ended up joining somebody who I thought was very fair, but at the end I realized that my interests were still more in the academic realm. So what I ended up doing after my two-year term ended was I was able to transition into the faculty at Johns Hopkins Hospital. And at Johns Hopkins, everything was really as I expected. I wanted to do some of those bigger cases, work with the residents, get more involved in the educational aspects of plastic surgery, and that was fabulous for eight years. And then you realize after eight years that there are things that perhaps could be done a little better and perhaps you start asking for a little bit more and sometimes things get delivered and sometimes they don't. But there was an opportunity at Georgetown. Scott Spear was the chairman at Georgetown and I had a strong interest in breast reconstruction and he created a position for me to join the faculty at Georgetown. So I started there in 2005 and Again, it was wonderful. I mean, we had a solid eight years of really academic productivity, working with first-rate residents, and everything was just meshing perfectly. And unfortunately, there were some illnesses within the department, and Dr. Spear unfortunately became ill, had to take time off. There were changes going on within the department, and I decided in 2017 that perhaps it was best for me to transition once again, this time into a private practice setting where I had joined up initially in an employed system with two of my former residents who had been in practice for 10 years, and I was able to once again do the things that I enjoyed the most. I stayed very active in breast reconstruction and was able to do some of the other things as well. And I found that at this stage in my career, having that autonomy in a private practice setting was actually something that I was really craving and happy to be part of. So looking back, I think that at each stage of my evolution, there was a learning curve and expectations were met and sometimes they weren't. And I made very carefully thought out decisions into transitioning from one type of practice to another. So there's a lot to be learned and that's kind of the 30,000 foot view of how things transitioned. So having experienced the various different types of practice, for perhaps the residents who who are listening about the different types of practices that are out there and, and why might they consider different options? There are a number of options and I think for residents who are going into practice now, they really need to be honest with themselves and 
get an idea of what they really want to do. There are benefits of working in an academic practice or in even a, an employed practice, whether it's with an institution or with a private group. In the initial phases, everything will be kind of laid out for you. The path is paved, the stresses are minimized, the salaries are guaranteed, and you can really get your feet on the ground. Start to build your practice, collect your board cases, be able to accomplish those short-term goals and hopefully your long-term goals. And then you'll start to reassess, reanalyze, everybody changes. I mean, life is dynamic. And what you're interested in at stage one, you may not be interested at, at, at a later stage. So, But you want to be able to have the option to make transitions if need be. So I would tell young plastic surgeons who are going into practice to really do some soul searching, figure out what it is that they want to do, and find the right opportunity. Going into solo private practice has challenges now. Just Financially, it's difficult. If you want to do reconstruction, it's going to be difficult because of the way the carriers are set up and the contracting with some of these companies. And sometimes you're just locked out and may not be able to do the things that you really want to do. So you have to do your homework, understand the geographical area where you want to practice, look at the opportunities that are available, do your due diligence, talk to people about what it's like to practice in these areas, and do your homework about who you're thinking about joining. Uh, make sure that you're on the same page philosophically, ideologically, and that it's gonna be a good partnership because sometimes these things can turn out to be very disastrous as well. Have you been racking your brain about how to staff your practice? Worry no longer. ASPS University has just released their latest course, the Staffing Toolkit. Learn all about the staffing life cycle, from recruitment to hiring to training and management. With the course, you will receive a complimentary resource guide that includes sample job descriptions, hiring evaluation tools, checklists, and much more. Visit plasticsurgery.org forward slash staffing toolkit today for more information. Check out our other great practice management courses like late career planning and the essentials of coding on ASPS EdNet. You mentioned geography. Residents and fellows often tell me that they're happy to move anywhere. Do you have any advice or a comment on that? Having geographic mobility is a good thing. I mean, if you're able to live anywhere, that would be wonderful. You'll have a lot of opportunities. But at the end of the day, you have to, again, really dig deep inside and ask yourself, are you going to be happy living in a rural community that may not have the cultural aspects of the big city? I personally like living in more of a city environment, so it would be difficult for me to be happy in the long run in a smaller community where I don't have access to some of the things that I'm used to. And a lot of plastic surgeons probably feel the same way. So I, I would really think twice about where you're going to live and make sure that it's going to be within your comfort zone. A lot of things to consider, but geography is certainly one of them. So how might a young surgeon early in practice think about procedures that they would want to focus on? Excellent question. Coming out of residency, you're probably at the peak of your abilities. You can do hand surgery, craniofacial surgery, breast reconstruction, microsurgery, but at that time you're really starting to think about what you want to hone in on. 
So you may do a fellowship, you may not, you may go into a practice where you're gonna be spoon-fed, or you may go into a practice where you really are gonna to have to build your practice. Early on, let's just take the position that you're gonna go into a private practice community where you really have to work on developing your practice. Let's say, and I'll speak from the perspective of somebody who does breast reconstruction. You're gonna to move to a community, you're new to the town, you wanna to do breast reconstruction, there's already other people doing there that are operating there. The things that you're gonna to need to do are establish referral networks. That's gonna be first and foremost. So you're gonna to have to tap into somebody else's referral base. Sounds easy, but it's not always that easy. So you have to be persistent. You have to take the scraps and you have to do what comes your way and you have to do it enthusiastically and you have to do it well. You have to make yourself completely available 24-7. You have to be involved in education and you have to kind of explain to people what you're doing, why you're doing it, and if it means giving a little in-service to kind of talk about or highlight what you can do that may be a little different than what somebody else does, those are the things you really need to do. You need to kind of decide what plans to participate in. You need to understand what the community's like. Are there employed surgeons in that community who are going to get the lion's share of the reconstruction? You as a private practitioner may be limited because you may not even have access to some of those patients. So you have to think about where you're practicing and understand the lay of the land. If all the plastic surgeons are employed by a system and the majority of patients are coming from that system, it's going to be very difficult for you to do the things you want to do. And then you're going to have to rebrand yourself. So you have to go into it with, this is what I really want, this is something else that I'm interested in, and be able to bounce around a little bit. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Be a little bit all over the map. Do wound care, do breast reductions, do breast reconstruction, do the aesthetic cases that come your way. Diversify. As you get busier, as the referral networks become established, then you can really hone in and stay true to what it is that you really want to do. But in the beginning, be diverse, do everything, be affable, available, all the A's that we talk about. But most importantly is just deliver your A game. Just do the real solid work so you can generate more referrals. If a surgeon's looking to transition practice or a young surgeon looking to start out in practice, what resources do you think might be useful uh, to them, both in terms of education and helping establish the practice? Well, I think for people who don't have a real solid support network, this is where ASPS comes in. The ASPS has a number of resources that are available to fresh grads, to people who have been in practice who are looking for information. There's mentorship programs. They can connect you with people who have been through similar situations. You can easily contact them to get advice. There are practice management programs that ASPS offers on a regular basis. These can be courses at some of the national meetings that have tracks specifically for practice management, managing up, managing down, looking at all sorts of variables. There's the PS2 program that helps to coordinate some of the internal architecture of managing your practice that ASPS offers. ASPS also offers the new ASPS University that has all sorts of information related to a number of topics, not just clinical, but also on the practice management side. 
So there's a wealth of information that's available that's easily accessible to anybody who needs it that's an ASPS member. Uh, Mo, I'd like to thank you for sharing all this valuable advice with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Please join us for the next episode of the ASPS Enhance Your Practice podcast entitled, Do I Become an Employee or My Own Boss? We're joined by guests Aviva Preminger from New York City and Warren Ellsworth from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University and our host, Dr. Ash Patel. You can listen to our other episodes on any of the podcast platforms where they are currently available, or you can download recordings directly from ASPS EdNet. New seasons and episodes are coming soon on practice management. Please contact ASPS Education with your feedback and suggestions for future podcast topics. Thank you for tuning in.